Here's an experiment for you. Take passionate experts in human resource technology. Invite cross-industry experts from inside and outside HR. Mix in what's happening in people analytics today. Give them the technology to connect. Hit record. Pour their discussions into a beaker. Mix thoroughly and voila. You get the HR Data Labs podcast, where we explore the impact of data and analytics to your business. We may get passionate and even irreverent, but count on each episode challenging and enhancing your understanding of the way people data can be used to solve real-world problems. Now, here's your host, David Turetsky. Hello, and welcome to the HR Data Labs podcast. I'm your host, David Turetsky. Like always, I'd love to bring you exciting and wonderful guests. Today, I have Natalie Bourne with me. Hi, Natalie. Hey, David. Thanks for having me today. Wonderful to have you. For those of you who don't know Natalie, Natalie is the founder and chief disruptor of Innovation Meets Leadership, and she's the vice president of innovation for Territory Global. Um, As an accomplished executive with two approved patents, which is wonderful, under her belt. She's been in the HR world for 15 years, leading development teams. She loves providing her expertise and advice on product strategy and design with the customer at the center of design. Impressive resume, Natalie. Thank you. (laughs) One fun thing that you may not know about Natalie is Natalie at one time in her life was a ballet dancer and danced the Nutcracker. This is the a true story. Uh, I actually did ballet growing up all the way through college. So wow. I got to be on stage at the Fox Theater many, many moons ago, dancing in the Nutcracker. Wow. Uh, there aren't any videos on YouTube floating around. I don't that, think are... there are, unfortunately. Okay. Okay. This was way before the times of YouTube. <laughs> okay. So we're safe. We're, we're safe. safe. <laughs> okay. That's good. But if don't be surprised if it comes up someday. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so... Our topic for today, Natalie, is innovation in the world of HR. What lessons can we learn to be more innovative? Absolutely. And this is such a a big, bold topic when we talk about innovation in the HR data space. You know, my background, I worked with CareerBuilder.com for 11 and a half years. And so I spent a lot of time trying to answer these innovative questions. Um, One of the cool things, and I I think that this is a great remit for anyone that's in this space, is to, uh, and our CEO gave us this remit in the midst of a downturned economy. He said, we need to come up with two new innovative ideas, two new innovative products every single year. And what that did for us, it was a forcing function for innovation. A lot of times in HR, we kind of sit back and think, you know, we just need to keep the operations running business as usual. But there was a forcing function that we had of we're not allowed to just rest on what we've done in the past. We have to push forward and do something new in the future. And so it forced us out of our boxes. It forced us into the offices of a customers or today onto Zoom calls with customers to find out what's keeping you up at night. What problems are you trying to solve that you haven't been able to solve? And where can we really step in because we have the scale and we have the ability to do it to create a new and different way of thinking about some of these problems. And so because you've been in HR, and that's a really great lesson that you have for people around 
trying to innovate and trying to grow not just what you do, but the entire company, what other lessons can you provide to HR to be able to challenge where they are today and what they're doing every single day? Yeah, you know, it's funny when we started on this journey to create two new innovative products every year, we made some assumptions and some of those assumptions were really, really wrong. And so one of the things I would say, if you're looking to step into an innovative space within HR is throw out the assumption. So I'll give you the perfect example. A friend of mine that was just on my podcast named Nogany, we created an application called Work At, and it was basically a Facebook application in um, Facebook to help people with job referrals. So we knew the problem we were trying to solve is that companies need more job referrals. Unfortunately, you know, 10 years ago, the way we were trying to solve it was through Facebook. And if you go back 10 years, it was kind of taboo to be in Facebook and also be talking about employment at the same time. Now, things have changed drastically, but a lot of times, one of the things we have to do when we're thinking about innovation in a space is we have to throw out our assumptions. And oftentimes, we come to the table with predisposed ways of thinking, well, it's not going to work because we've tried it this way. Or, uh, you know, it will only work if. And so a lot of what we have to do is if we're going to be collaborative in nature and if we're going to help people to be successful in this space is we have to bring a cross-functional team to the table and we have to bring people to the table that have a slant towards and a bias towards action. So if we're bringing everyone to the table who is kind of set in their ways, we're going to get what we've always gotten. But if we can bring some people to the table that are willing to break the box, think outside the box, then what we will find is that if we can challenge the way we think and we can challenge the way we work, we can really create some new, uh, you know, innovative things that deepen our knowledge and ability of the space. So as part of your title, you say you're a chief disruptor, right? And you talked about how you have to bring people who will come in and who will challenge your assumptions as you're trying to look at the way in which things have always been done. Where do you go to find those disruptors and how do you bring them into your process without overturning everything and and causing chaos? Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. A lot of times when we think about innovation, the first thing we should be thinking is people first. So especially in the data and HR analytics space, we need to put people first. So one of the things I would say to you is if you feel like those people may not exist in the building, they definitely exist in your customer base. And so finding those people within your your customer base that are disruptors, futurists, forward thinkers, uh, thought leaders, those are the types of people that you should have sitting at your table. And so I love that because it doesn't require you to go out and hire 10 of the most innovative people you can find, although you probably should, but it requires you to go find the customers that are breaking the barriers of thought leadership. And whenever I would create a product, I would always do this. So um, when I was at CareerBuilder, uh, Intercontinental Hotels was one of my customers, and there was a lady I worked with named Francine Taylor. And whenever I wanted the most groundbreaking, innovative thought leader and someone who would always push back on me and say, that's a horrible idea, I would go sit in her office and say, here's what we're trying to build. Is this anything you're interested in? Right. And she would always give me just candid feedback on, absolutely not, I wouldn't buy that. Or, right. yes, I love that, and let me tell you why. And so... I think as leaders in HR, we've got to find those people, uh, whether it's inside or outside of your organization, that are willing to say the hard things and have the hard conversations. You have that probably in your employee base somewhere. You have that if you uh, work on HR products.
products, you can find those customers. But it's all about finding the right personality type to sit at the table and have those conversations. And that's really what it means to be people first is we don't build in a silo. We create the cross-functional team that's going to be helpful for us to get across the line to accomplish what we're trying to accomplish. And so we can only do that with collaboration. We can't do it alone. I think one of the things that I find fascinating about the example that you used with IHG is that it will lead to failure. Asking someone outside your organization about an initiative you have going on inside brings them into your circle and invites in the prospect of doubt. And when you invite someone in and they challenge you, the challenge will always come back that you failed in the mission that you were trying to achieve. How do you prevent that thing from hurting you or how do you embrace failure? Yeah, you know, it's it's a beautiful thing when we think about innovation because you know, a lot of times I think when people look at innovation from the outside looking in, they think that it's you come up with this idea, you launch the idea and it's all successful. But I would encourage us to think about innovation in three phases. So you kind of have that discovery phase where you're putting the team around you, you're conducting interviews, you're talking about internal and external research so that you can get your grounding on what it is I'm trying to accomplish. But then you go into this phase of validation. And that's where you're really surfacing themes. You're setting that value statement. So what's the value statement? And uh, David, this is something you say a lot, but what's the why? Why right. am I doing this and who's it going to serve? Right. And if I can't answer that, I've got I've got a problem on my hands. <laughs> and then from there, we're going to actually show our idea visually. We're going to sketch it out, whether it's a report or whether it's a, a system that you're tr trying to create or a process. We reach conclusions and decisions 14% faster when visual thinking is used. Mm. So if you've never used visual thinking in the way that you communicate your ideas, you're missing out on the opportunity to get to the best conclusion 14% faster. Right. Then you're cataloging those pros and cons, and you're really validating that with the customer. Um, and then you pitch it. And so when I, when I go into that last phase of pitching, I don't think I have it perfect. I'm pitching this. I think I've probably have about five to six more iterations under my belt at least before this is a viable thing. And so if we can think about failure being these small increments that are a requirement in order to get to success, then that's a beautiful thing. In sales, a salesperson knows that I have to make nine cold calls where someone says no before I get to the 10th where someone says yes. Well, in innovation, you know that you've got to go through several iterations of something right. before a customer will say, you know what? I would buy that. And I think that's the reason why you bring those customers in who will challenge you, who won't just say, yes, it always looks great. I love what you do. But who say, I don't get it. What is it? Why are you doing this? It doesn't help me. Can you go deal with these 10 other things that I have that I've told you are problems for me? Uh -huh. um, it's always great to have those people by your side to be able to challenge everything you do. And I love embracing failure. I think failure is the best mechanism of teaching you what works and what doesn't. Yeah. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by Turetsky Consulting and listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. Let's move on to the next question I have for you, which was fascinating. I took this from your Innovation Meets Leadership website, which is your Innovation Index tool. How did that get started? 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, I created this innovation index tool to help people understand that there are critical underlying things that have to be in place to have a healthy culture of innovation. And so a lot of times when we start thinking about innovation, the very first thing we do is we think, what's the idea that I want to launch? We don't think, do I have the right culture for innovation to exist in the first place? Or does innovation get stifled in our culture because good ideas can't rise to the top? Or the executive team is really the only place that ideas come from? And so this innovation index, what it really does is it asks some key questions about what's holding back growth? What's holding back innovation on your team? So we're going to look at your team. We're going to look at the culture of your organization. We're going to look at how your leadership is set up. Because I believe that all of these things really determine how innovative your organization can be, or are you tactically held back because there's not an ideation framework and only ideas from the top down are what right. get in- implemented. So all those things matter in an organization. The flow of ideas is very critical to innovation. Being a leader in product management and you being a leader in product development and management, you know that ideas don't start at the top. A lot of times the innovations that we find come from the people who work around us who are dealing with problems every day in our client base. And so when I was looking through that index and looking at the questions and I critically thought about how I would have answered this at various points in my career, it really gives me pause for concern that I didn't do enough, even though I was very inclusive in my decisions, I didn't do enough to encourage people to bring those forth. And I think that what your innovation index does is it points at various things that you can do very early on to be able to recognize the importance of what you're hearing around you and listening. One of those skills that HR does really well in certain areas and not very well in others, listening to the people around you. Yeah, something I say all the time is innovation is no longer about brilliant individuals. It's about brilliant teams. And so part of, I think, the way we have to think about innovation is is in a teaming manner. So if we're not teaming, then we're missing the boat. We're really missing out on ideas. And the beautiful thing about innovation done well is that the idea that starts ends up being something completely different by the time it gets to the other side because you've had so many voices speak into it that they've evolved it and they've made it much, much better than it ever Ever would have been before. And so we as organizations, we've got to get better at being inclusive, at collaboration, and at bringing multiple voices to the table. That's a perfect segue to the next one. How do companies get started being innovative? Is it in their genes? Do they Are they born with it? Or is it something that a company can build? And especially thinking about the HR function, is it a skill that HR can build readily? Absolutely. So having people bring their ideas, making sure they understand that they, they are allowed to be heard, it's a really important part. I've been at a company where we did, you know, large business proposals for ideas that we had. And then the person that won that competition, they funded the idea. I mean, that's more formal, but we can be more informal with our ideas. I think also giving people a space to have time to think. It's so interesting when we provide someone with innovation hours, even if it's two hours a week, what we find is that 
they're going to be more right. innovative because we're setting that that time aside. So, you know, oftentimes when we think of innovation, we think, oh my gosh, this is going to be a heavy lift to the organization. I would ask, start really small and really incremental and say, what's the one thing that we as an organization can do to be intentional about being innovative? And I think the intellectual curiosity of the people who work with you and work for you goes towards that goal if you listen and provide ownership to them. In one of the companies that I've worked for, and I, and I think you may have seen this as well, when you give people a platform to provide their ideas, you listen to them, and then you tell them to help build it. That's yeah. different from taking their idea in like a shoebox and uh -huh. then reading it in front of everybody and then saying, yeah, that's great. We'll take it under advisement or we'll build that into our plan, which mm -hmm. means now they've lost all ownership of the development of that idea. They've disconnected completely from that idea and it deflates their ability to basically have that ownership of it and be able to bring it to fruition. And this is this is the crux, right? We are not setting people up to be able to think critically. We are asking them to throw their idea across the table and lose that idea. It goes into a silo and it may not ever be heard of again, or someone else takes it and runs with it. And now I feel like, hey, you stole my idea. Exactly. So yeah. we are not setting people up for success. And so having someone have the idea and asking them to go do the legwork to make that idea a success, or guess what? You failed and that's okay. Right. And we're going to shelve that idea because at the end of that road, we found it wasn't working. And here was 11 reasons why. That is critical thinking. That is the type of uh, investment that we have to make in people if we're going to help people uh, think critically, think innovatively, and move the organization forward. And the problem is a lot of times we do what you just said, which is we kind of shut them down. We grab that idea. We give it to someone who doesn't have time to work on it. Right. And then it right. never sees the light of day. It comes back to empowerment and being able to not just listen to your employees, not just listen to the ideas they have, but being able to provide them with platforms that make them feel like they're valuable beyond just the nine to five that they do. And the empowerment gives them an opportunity to feel like they're valued and like their like their role is important. And so I've tried to do that. I've tried to bring that up for people who work for me, and then to build that into everything they do. I think one of the problems that I found is, and, and I think you mentioned this in the index is, is it top down? You know, can people at the executive level buy when someone who's at a lower level, quote unquote, bring up a good idea and listen to it? And then as you mentioned before, fund it. Because yeah. funding behind a great idea is the critical part. If you're not willing to fund an idea, don't listen in the first place. Don't ask them for ideas. And this is critical, right? The, the funding of ideas, the funding of being able to... Um to not only let people surface an idea, but to place a bet on that idea to say that, yes, we're going to see that idea through. We're going to fund what matters and we're going to fund it well. So this is something where I think when pandemics hit or or challenges happen, this is the area where people fall down on the job and they they actually give up the right to let people innovate because they're trying to hold on. As I mentioned in that example, when we were asked to come up with two new innovative ideas every year, you'll remember it was like that 2008-2009 period where economies were tanking and we were having to lay people off. Right. So it was in the midst of the biggest struggle at that time that we had ever known as an organization, we were asked to innovate. 
And so what was so amazing about that is we didn't have large budgets. We didn't have huge budgets to do it, but we set aside funds and said, this is going to be what we do. This is going to be what we use to innovate. And so I want us to kind of, you know, get creative because so many times we think innovation, we think, you know, I don't have millions or billions of dollars to throw at that. And oftentimes that's not what's required to get a prototype out the door. And in the world of HR, especially in the analytics world, a lot of times we overlook the simplest things. We think about predictive analytics. We think about AI. We think about um, data science. I, I hear a lot about data science in the world of HR analytics. And the thing that they miss, and exactly to your point, is the data that underlies all of that needs a lot of help. And a lot of times we overlook that because we just assume that it's fine. And we make a ton of assumptions. And I think you said this before. You have to challenge the assumptions that are going in and then be able to see beyond them and don't miss the simple stuff and be able to use that as being potentially an area that you focus on because it can be as innovative or actually even more innovative than trying to do something that shoots for the stars. That's right. And I know that, you know, when we think about the HR and data analytics space, it's an area that's ripe for disruption. When we think about, you know, go from one end of the spectrum to the other, whether it's innovation and recruitment, whether it's thinking about our onboarding processes, learning and development, um, talent management, right? These All these areas are ripe for disruption. But but I'll tell you kind of what I see um, as, a, as a blocker for that. What I see as a blocker for that is the fact that oftentimes we are more interested in what the competitor's doing and, mm-hmm. and going feature f- for feature with the competitor, um, which really puts you in a, um, you know, on your heels, puts you in a position where you're kind of on your heels and you're not able to push forward. Really, what we need to be thinking is, a year ahead, two years ahead and building that today. So oftentimes we're trying to predict where our competitor is going, which puts us in weeks or months versus thinking about where the industry is going, which puts us more in a looking at it from a year standpoint. And then we need to back into how can we, instead of predicting what our competition is going to do and matching it, how can we get ahead of what they're doing and really put a stake in the ground in a different spot than we're always doing, which is right behind the competitor's stake. And I think that innovation doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be something that's flashy or something that's next generation cool. It could be those adjacencies that you mentioned before about onboarding that, you know, if you're thinking about analytics and you're thinking about data, how can you look at processes as they exist and processes together and say, how can I measure that differently? How can I look at that differently? And think about the gaps in between not thinking about a completely new onboarding process, but how can I measure what's already there? And how can I look at what's already there and be critical and say, is this accomplishing and are my measurements accomplishing what I had hoped with the investments I'm actually making there? Yeah, that's really important. I think, I think there's like, you know, when I think about innovation, there's the core of it is you're, you're identifying and solving problems. And I like to bucket innovation in really three areas. There's the transformative innovation, which is you're essentially taking an existing product and you're moving that forward. So, so think iPhone seven to iPhone eight. But then there's this idea of, of breakthrough innovation. And to me, that still exists within your company, but 
you know, to stay with the Apple example, it would be the essential, it would be iPad, right, being released in 2010. But then when I think about disruptive, it's this idea that it's innovation within the industry that shifts the industry. And that's really, whether it's the iPod or the the Apple Watch, where they either disrupted that music industry, or they disrupted, you know, wallets and how we think about where wallets live. Right. The, The idea that not everything has to sit in that last bucket, that disruptive bucket, you can innovate through transformative innovation and you can have breakthrough innovation within your own organization. And so as we think about innovation, we do need to right-size them into these buckets because when I think about transformative or breakthrough, then it doesn't become as scary as thinking about maybe that disruptive innovation, which a lot of organizations, they did it at first, maybe when they launched, right. but it's been a long time since they've they've lived in that space. And so I think if we can segment things out and really understand that as an organization, we'll probably sit in those first two buckets mainly, but we should have someone focused on that last bucket and really being able to think ahead, that futurist in our organization. If I can bring that to a sports example, it's trying to hit the home run when the game doesn't call for a home run. The game calls for a critical hit or a sacrifice fly or Mm -hmm. uh, being able to bunt in a specific place (laughs) where it gets things moved into a place where then the company can win instead of always trying to swing for the fence when it doesn't call for that. That's where the real value lies. So, Natalie, this has been a fascinating discussion about innovation. And I think all of us who are listening have learned a lot. Uh, We've learned what it means to be an an innovator, especially in the world of HR. We've learned about how we can measure innovation and what that does for us. And we've also learned about how you can actually start becoming innovative and some of the steps along the way. Any final thoughts that you have that you could share with people who focus on data and analytics in the world of HR? Yeah, I would just encourage you to get outside of your comfort zone in this area and to really think more strategically about the role that you hold. HR is such a crucial role to the organization. The uh, metrics, the understanding, the insights that are available around people analytics are, are crucial. And so part of that role is to to really see yourself as a futurist and see yourself as an an innovator and to have that entrepreneurial spirit because it's not about what exists today. It's about what you will build tomorrow. And I see it like a puzzle. So I see all those puzzle pieces sitting on the table and you're just waiting to bring the right people to the table to bring that puzzle together so that you can see the full picture. And I believe if you start seeing yourself as an innovator and a futurist, that's part of the journey to get where you'd like to go. Beautiful. I love that summary. And it really means that anybody can innovate and anybody can be bringing that, that be part of at least bringing that puzzle together. Absolutely. Natalie, thank you very much. Thank you for your time today, David. Natalie, thank you very much. It was very insightful. I appreciate and I think all of our listeners appreciate your insights into being an innovator in HR. So I want to send everybody to your website, which is Innovation Meets Leadership, and the link will be in the podcast details. Please see that on the website. Also, please sign up for the 
HR Data Labs podcast by clicking subscribe. And you'll notice also that Natalie and I recorded on her Innovation Meets Leadership podcast as well. And it was another fun conversation between Natalie and I. Thank you very much, everybody. Hope you have a wonderful day and please stay safe. That was HR Data Labs. Please visit TeretskyConsulting.com forward slash podcast to review the show, add comments about this episode, or add new ideas about upcoming shows you'd like to hear. Feel free to be creative, but please be nice. Thank you for joining us this week on the HR Data Labs podcast, and stay tuned for our next episode. Stay safe.